Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here today. I'm super glad you decided to join us for worship. I also want to say hello to anyone watching online today. It's always amazing to hear who's watching. Uh, I've heard this week some people who are in other states, never been to Plum Creek physically, uh, have been watching online. So that's, that's cool. You guys are welcome. And I'm excited to jump into this message today. We're hitting a big milestone here. Uh, after this sermon, we'll be halfway through God's kingdom story. And I've really appreciated this series and, and all the studying that I've gotten to do and, and share with you. I hope you've appreciated it too. And if you haven't been around for this, here's what we've been doing. We're taking several months to go through the big story of the Bible from creation to Christ. And we've divided this story into 16 chapters. And back in week one, we talked about the most high God. We tried to wrap our minds around who God is, which is pretty much impossible because he's just so far beyond us. And then in week two, we looked at creation, the birth of the universe, how God made the world and how he made us as well. And then from there, we talked about the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, Noah and the flood, the scattering of humanity at the Tower of Babylon, uh, the great blessing that Abraham received from God. And then last week, we talked about the Ten Commandments. So we move on today. Today, we're talking about sacrifice. And I need to warn you, uh, this may be the strangest chapter in all of God's kingdom story. We're about to visit places in the Bible that people normally don't like to go. For example, uh, how many of you are familiar with the book of Leviticus? Show of hands. How many of you have actually read the entire book of Leviticus? Show of hands. It's a few, but not many. And if you haven't gotten through this book, you're not alone. Uh, a lot of times when people try to read the Bible from start to finish... This is where they get stuck, because Genesis, some good stories there, Exodus, good stuff there, and then Leviticus, wow, like, you're talking about skin diseases, bodily fluids, and yes, animal sacrifice, but you don't need to worry for two reasons. Number one, we're not going to spend that much time in Leviticus today, and number two, we're going to see how all of this comes together, how all of it fits into God's kingdom story. And when everything comes together, it's very, very cool. So let's get to it. First, uh, look at this image up on the screen. We've got uh, a lamb there sitting down behind a big drop of blood. Now, what do you think that lamb represents? Well, if you look across the Bible, uh, that, that lamb could have several different meanings. Uh, for one thing, it could represent Jesus, the Lamb of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, verse 29, there's a very important quote from John the Baptist. John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what did John the Baptist mean when he said that? Well, if you are one of the Jews in the crowd that day, you could take away several meanings. You might think about several different things. Uh, first, you might think back 1,400 years and remember the Passover lamb. 
back in the book of Exodus. We touched on this briefly last week, but let's do a quick review. In Exodus chapter 1, God's people, the chosen people, were living down in Egypt. And over the years, they multiplied and multiplied until they became a great nation. This is when we start calling them the nation of Israel. But as they grew, became more numerous, they became a threat to the Egyptians. And the Egyptian pharaoh decided to make all of them slaves. And so their lives were terrible at this point. They were mistreated, they were abused, and they cried out to God for help. And God heard their cries and he sent a deliverer named Moses. And many of us are familiar with this part of the story. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, fat chance. But God sent plagues to change Pharaoh's mind. Ten different plagues. And that last plague was devastating. God sent the death angel to kill the firstborn son in every Egyptian household. Every household except for the, the, family, the families of Israel. God gave some special instructions to those Israelite families. And if they followed his instructions, their families would be spared this great tragedy. So what did God tell them to do? Well, you see this in Exodus chapter 12. God said, okay, every man in Israel needs to choose a lamb for his family. And and this can't be just any lamb. It has to be perfect, spotless, no blemish at all. And then once you make your choice, you need to wait until the 14th day of the first month. And on that day, at twilight, every family needs to slaughter their lamb. And once that job is done, you take the blood and you smear it around the doorframe of your house. And so that that bloody door was very significant because when the death angel passed through the land... If he saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that house and the family would be spared. If, if you were covered by the blood, your firstborn son would live. But why did God give those specific instructions? You ever think about that? Why lamb's blood? Why, why wouldn't they, they just put up a banner that says, we worship the one true God? That would kind of make sense. Well, it's lamb's blood because God is up to something here. He's looking down the road. This is foreshadowing. God is pointing to a very special individual who would not show up for over a thousand years. He's pointing to Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Check out what the apostle Paul says over in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So this is not a stretch, is it? This is a very clear connection. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Remember back in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you were in the crowd, you might have thought of that Passover lamb. But you might have thought about a different lamb. You might have said, hmm, okay, a lamb who takes away sin. Why does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah, that sounds exactly like what we've been doing for hundreds of years, offering a sacrificial lamb. 
so that we would be forgiven. You see, in between the original Passover and the coming of Jesus, the, the Jewish people killed a lot of lambs and, and other animals as well. And of course, that begs the question, why did the Jews keep killing these animals? Well, this is where we need to look at Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 4, God himself gives Moses these instructions. He says, If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering. And then God gives some additional instructions. He says, uh, The priest needs to sprinkle some of the lamb's blood on the altar. And take the rest of the blood and then pour it at the base of the altar. And then take the lamb's fat and burn the fat on top of the altar. I know, it's weird, right? But in Leviticus 4.35, God says this. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. Now, that, that word atonement, that means to cover someone's debt, to, to pay what you owe. Now, if you're like a lot of people, you would look at that and say, how in the world does that work? Uh, why would killing some animal have anything to do with God forgiving my sin? And that's a great question. Because from a modern perspective, this whole thing, it just seems foreign. It's weird. Some might even call it barbaric. But we need to back up because, yes, animal sacrifices seem foreign and weird and barbaric today, but that wouldn't have been the case in ancient times. The people of Israel saw this kind of thing all over the place. Lots of different cultures performed animal sacrifices, and they saw it as a way to buy favor from the gods. It's interesting, if you go back and read the stories about those old pagan gods, you'll notice something. They were very immature. They were petty. They were fickle. They acted a lot like human beings, which is not surprising because humans invented them. Those pagan gods were inferior to the one true God in every way. Now, if that's the case... Why would God tell his chosen people to do something that pagans were doing? Well, I can give you a partial answer from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we read this. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So somehow... The, the shedding of blood is connected to forgiveness. But still, why involve animals? That takes us right back to that question. How does this make sense? How does it make sense for animal sacrifice to be connected to my forgiveness? Well, to answer that question, we need to jump back to the Israelites in Egypt. So we had plague number 10, the death of all those firstborn sons, including Pharaoh's son. And after that plague... Pharaoh decided to let God's people go. And the Israelites left the country, but then Pharaoh changed his mind. He took the army and he chased after them. But then God performed that amazing miracle. He parted the Red Sea and the Israelites escaped. And then, what happened next? 
Well, let's zoom in on that little piece of land that's known as the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, there's a, a very important mountain on the Sinai Peninsula. Any idea what that mountain is called? Mount Sinai. <laughs> kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And Mount Sinai is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And we need to be clear about something here. When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he wasn't just handing out a bunch of rules. God was establishing a covenant relationship with Moses and also the entire people of Israel. And uh, we need to pause here because we need to think about this word covenant. Right now, we're in a mini-series that's a smaller part of the larger kingdom story, and the mini-series that we're in right now is called Old Covenant. But what is a covenant? What does that word mean? Well, here's a basic definition. A covenant is a formal promise or agreement between two parties. And different places in the Bible, you see God make different covenants. Uh, One example is with Noah. God made a covenant, a promise to Noah, said, I I will never again destroy the world by a flood. Then later, God made a covenant with Abraham. It was a promise that Abraham would become a father of a great nation. And then here on Mount Sinai, God makes this covenant with Moses uh, and the people of Israel. We read this last week, Exodus 19, verse 5. God said to Israel, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, some of God's covenants were unconditional. God would keep his promise no matter what the people did. But this one here is conditional, isn't it? You got that word if. If you obey me fully, then you will be my treasured possession. So how did that turn out? Well, some of you know, it did not go well. The Israelites broke that covenant even before Moses made it down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. The people made this golden calf. They bowed down and worshipped it. So right away, they broke the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make an idol to worship. And it's yet another example of what people had been doing for centuries. First, God would tell people what to do, and then next, they'd turn around and do the opposite. And you might think that God would just give up on those people, maybe destroy Israel. It's kind of what happened with the flood, right? But God doesn't do that here. He still loved his chosen people, despite their sin, despite their rebellion. God wanted his people to dwell in his presence. And with that goal in mind, God told Moses to make a tent. This tent is also called the tabernacle. And I have a picture that shows what the tabernacle may have looked like. This is a a replica that's in Israel. Now, this tent would be an extraordinary place. God's very presence would live in that tent. And this was an amazing opportunity because that would allow the Israelites to live in close proximity to God. That would be awesome because living in God's presence is a very good thing. And why is that? It's because that's where we all want to be. This is why we were made. We were created to be in his presence, worshiping him, enjoying him. 
You ever wonder why you can't get to a place in this life where you're just satisfied? You feel like everything's good. I don't want anything else. I don't need any changes. This is why. We're, we're never quite satisfied and we will never be satisfied or fulfilled completely until we are in God's presence. That's where we want to be. However, to be in God's presence is also very dangerous. And why is it dangerous? Well, I'll tell you. It's dangerous because God is holy. And why is that important? Well, when we say that God is holy, we mean that he is set apart. He stands alone in many different ways. He is the creator. He is the author of all life. He's also 100% good and just and pure. And his purity, it's kind of like the light of the sun. What, what happens when some lesser thing approaches the sun? You know what happens, right? That, that lesser thing gets incinerated. It's annihilated. And you don't want to be that little thing that gets close to the sun, right? But this is kind of like God's holiness. When something lesser or impure comes into contact or approaches him, you're done. But then we actually want God to be like this. We want him to be 100% good and pure and holy. And he is. He hates evil. He hates evil with a powerful, righteous anger. It's a white hot wrath. We want a God who is angry at sin. But what did that mean for the Israelites? Well, uh, for Israel to survive in God's holy presence, they also needed to be holy. And that was a major problem because they were not holy. They were not good. They were not pure. They were very much unholy and sinful and impure. So how would God address this problem? The book of Leviticus. God gave Moses another set of instructions. It was a, a set of rituals for the Israelites to perform. And the purpose of these rituals was to purify the people. So what were the rituals? Well, some of them were kind of fun. Uh, God told them to observe these feasts or festivals or holidays. And the feasts would commemorate significant events in the history of Israel, like Passover. So all of these festivals, they would help people remember who God is and what he has done. But in addition to the ritual feasts, God told the people to offer sacrifices as a way to say thank you, as a way to say I'm sorry. Uh, there were at least five different uh, sacrifices, different types, and many of them involved killing some animal, maybe a bull or a goat or a lamb or some other animal. But again, why do that? Why does the animal need to die? Well, to put it simply, God allowed an animal to be a substitute. Remember that word. Literally dying in your place to cover the penalty for your sins. And when that sacrifice was sincere and when it was performed correctly, the blood would cover the person's sin and they would be forgiven. So with that arrangement, 
Was it possible for just anyone to kill a lamb, waltz into the tabernacle, and enter God's presence? No, you couldn't do that. We can't underestimate the danger of being in God's presence. There needed to be some kind of buffer between God and the people, and that's where priests come in. Leviticus has a lot to say about these guys. The priests were mediators. They would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And the job of a priest was extremely hazardous. And I can illustrate that with a story. Uh, Moses had a brother named Aaron. And Aaron was the first official priest for the nation of Israel. Aaron also had a couple sons. The sons' names were Nadab and Abihu. These sons were also priests. But unfortunately, Nadab and Abihu did not do a great job of following God's instructions. And Leviticus chapter 10 tells the story. It says that Nadab and Abihu disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So, fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. I know that sounds extreme, but I'm telling you, when an unholy, impure person enters the presence of a holy God, it's lethal. And Moses explained this to Aaron. He said, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. So the people learned a very harsh lesson from Nadab and Abihu. It goes back to what we already said. For Israel to be in God's holy presence, they also had to be holy. They had to be pure in the way that God is pure, completely free of sin, 100% good. And we already know the Israelites were not 100% good. And of course, that's not only true of Israel. We're in the same boat, aren't we? We're not holy or good or perfectly just either. We've all sinned. If you were here last week, do you, you remember what we said about the Ten Commandments? What was the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Are they like an entrance exam that you have to take to get into heaven? Is it like God is watching us, grading us to see if we'll pass or fail? And is heaven reserved only for those of us who make the cut, make the grade? No, that's not the point. Because none of us make the cut. We can't meet God's standard by just trying hard. So here's the purpose we landed on. The Ten Commandments reveal our need for God. You might feel like you're a pretty good person, pretty decent person, but you're like the rest of us. When it comes to obeying the letter of God's law, we all fail miserably. So Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. So we need help because we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve to be punished. And what kind of punishment do we deserve? 
In Romans 6.23, Paul says this, For the wages of sin, what you earn by your sin, is death. We deserve the death penalty. And that's why sinful people are destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell. We're headed for eternal death. Unless, unless we can find a substitute to take our place. You remember that word? Substitute? We use that, that word uh, when we defined uh, animal sacrifice, that God allowed an animal to be a substitute, literally dying in your place to cover the penalty for your sins. This was the old covenant, the law of Moses. For a specified period of history, God allowed the blood of an animal to cover a person's sins. But now, if you've been around Plum Creek for a while, you may have noticed that we do not include animal sacrifice as a part of our worship services. And why is that? Well, it's because animal sacrifice is not a real solution to our sin problem. It wasn't the real purpose of, of what was going on there. Uh, in the Old Covenant, those sacrifices revealed our need for Jesus. Just like the Ten Commandments reveal our need for God, the Old Covenant sacrifices reveal our need for Jesus. And let's think about this for a second. Why did animal sacrifices ever work? The reality is they didn't. They never did. The Old Covenant was just a temporary measure because at the end of the day, the blood of animals cannot pay for your sins. You can sacrifice all kinds of things to God, but you can't buy his favor. And that still holds true today. You can't perform a bunch of good deeds. You can't give a bunch of money to God. You can't pray a bunch of prayers and think that he's going to look at that and say, oh, okay, that, that was good enough. You, you did well. I approve. That's, that's not how it works. We can't earn his favor with sacrifices. You can't come back to God on your own, no matter what you do, which is why we need a Savior. This is how the Old Covenant reveals our need for Jesus. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute. I read the first part of Romans 6.23 a minute ago, but we need to go back and finish that verse. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve eternal death, but through Jesus we can have eternal life. The, the old covenant did not work, so God gave a new covenant. And in a few weeks we'll look at this in more detail but for now, let's just read what Jesus himself said. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, he had dinner with his disciples one last time. It was the Last Supper. And Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. He was going to become the sacrificial lamb. He would offer his life as a substitute for sinful people like you and me. And Jesus wanted the disciples to remember this sacrifice. So, in Luke twenty-two nineteen, he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember this sacrifice. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The life blood of Jesus would cover the penalty for our sins. Just like the blood of the Passover lamb covered those homes. Just like animal sacrifice was a picture of the blood covering sins, covering that penalty. Jesus offers forgiveness as a free gift to anyone who's willing to receive it. And through Jesus, the impure can be made pure. And why is that important? It's because only a pure person can enter God's holy presence without being destroyed. You know, in churches today, we get too casual about all of this. We minimize the seriousness of our sin. Since God tells us we can be forgiven, we kind of act like sin is not that big of a deal. We also underestimate what it means to enter God's presence. Sure, to be with him is a very good thing, but it's also very dangerous for those who are not pure. And then I think about this passage here. Jesus told us to remember his sacrifice. But the truth is, we kind of get numb to it, don't we? We stop being shocked or disturbed by the heavy price that Jesus paid to purchase our pardon. And we need to go back and remember and really let it sink in. How do we do that? I want to tell you a story, it's a crazy story about something that happened at a church camp years ago. And before I tell you this story, I I want you to know that uh, what happened at this church camp, it was not appropriate at all. And I want you to know that this kind of thing would never happen at Camp Northward where we send our kids and our students. A lot of you know Nathan Dorico, one of our elders here, is the director at Camp Northward. Nathan does a great job making sure that camp is a, is a good experience for everyone. He makes sure that the leaders and the faculty do things in a safe and appropriate way. Are you ready to hear the story now? <laughs> Okay, here we go. I I don't know the name or location of this particular church camp, but they had a week-long session for younger kids, kind of elementary kids. And the camp dean, the the leader of this week, he, he wanted to give the kids an object lesson that they would never forget. So he brought a lamb to camp. Some of you might know where this is headed. The kids loved this lamb. They named it, uh, it kind of became the mascot for the week. Everywhere the children went, the lamb was sure to go. But on the last night of camp, the, the speaker, the preacher, he talked about Jesus, the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. And then, you guessed it, they took all those kids outside and slaughtered the lamb right, bef- right in front of them. As you can imagine, those kids were hysterical. Just a few hours later, a bunch of parents were hysterical too. Now, why do I tell you that story? Here's why. Um, The camp dean made a really bad decision there. 
really inappropriate. But he was trying to teach a lesson that's actually valuable. The price that Jesus paid for us, it was horrific. It was violent. It's appropriate to be disturbed by what Jesus went through. The Apostle Peter says this. He says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus experienced this unimaginable pain on our behalf. And why did he do that? Number one, he was being obedient to the will of his heavenly father. And number two, he did it because he loves you. Even though you are a sinner, even though you have rebelled against God, he loves you. And he would do whatever it took to make it possible for you to live with God, to be in his presence. That sacrifice was extremely costly. It was fatal. And we know that the story didn't end there. Jesus died, but then he came back to life. And when he rose again, he proved that he was the son of God. But we shouldn't skip to that happy ending without stopping to consider what he did. When I was working on the sermon this week, I remembered an old hymn. It's called, There is a Fountain. Some of you might know this. And when I was a kid, I sang this song many times, and I didn't really pay attention to the words. But one day, for whatever reason, I did pay attention. And it hit me. I was like, wow, this is graphic. Remember how that that hymn starts? First verse, it goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You got that mental image there? Emmanuel is another name for Jesus. So you got a fountain filled with the blood of Jesus. And then here's the next part. It says, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty state. Now, that hymn was written back in the 1700s by a guy named William Cowper. And you sort of get the idea that they didn't sugarcoat things back then. Uh, But William Cowper was a man who understood the true nature of sacrifice. It's gruesome. Remember Hebrews 9.22? It said, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's an amazing thing that Jesus was willing to do this for us. And I'll tell you what, the more we understand what Jesus did, the more we'll just grow in gratitude and love. When you receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation and you realize what that gift cost, you'll never be the same. You'll want to spend every day expressing your love and your gratitude to him. It reminds me of another old hymn called Jesus Paid It All. We're actually going to sing this in just a moment. And as we do, let's think about the meaning of these words and sing from the heart. Jesus paid it all. 
all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, as many times as we hear this story, we're not going to truly understand, not in this life. But I pray, Lord, that we won't grow numb to it, that we'll realize what sacrifice truly is, and that we'll be grateful, that we'll just grow in our love for you every day. I pray that we will help others find this forgiveness and salvation, that you will help us lead other people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And if someone here needs to receive that gift, I pray that you would lead them right now in this moment. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.